Today from the Global Lane, a new era of global tyrants infiltrating young minds with propaganda and disinformation. Big government, big media, big tech, corporate world, the woke corporate world, all pushing these uh, not just globalist, but I believe very isolating agendas. Nikki Haley enters the GOP presidential race. It's time for a new generation of leadership. Legal showdown in Texas over the FDA and chemical abortions. The medication for uh, chemical abortion should be banned uh, because it is currently harming women. One in 10 women uh, are being sent to the emergency room after starting the, this chemical abortion process. And more than 200 hours after the earthquake, miraculous rescues are still unfolding in Turkey. God bringing triumph out of tragedy. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. The recent penetration of U.S. airspace by suspected Chinese spy balloons might not pose the biggest threat to America. So what's the greater threat? China's military, North Korean missiles, Putin's war in Ukraine? Well, appearing on the 700 Club recently, former U.S. Secretary of State and former CIA Director Mike Pompeo suggests the biggest battle for the country's future is over who controls young American minds. The next generation will grow up thinking, gosh, we were taught America is racist. We were taught America is founded on an illogical idea and there is an oppressor class. You, you can't get those things back. Uh, Xi Jinping's a bad guy. I spent time with him. Uh, Chairman Kim, bad guy. I spent time with him. The Taliban, evil. Vladimir Putin, the same. But none of those things pose the same risk that we don't transmit to the next generation, that parents aren't permitted to teach their children their value set and that our schools screw that up. Well, our next guest contends some dark forces are at work. Tyrants of all stripes are working to control what you think and how you live. Stella Morabito is a former CIA analyst specializing in communist propaganda. Her book is The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stoke Fear and Isolation to Silence, Divide and Conquer. Stella, it's so good to talk with you. It's not only Mike Pompeo, but more parents believe communist propaganda is inundating their children's minds. We'll get to that in a minute, what's happening in the classrooms. But first, tell us how the Chinese, others are using social media, other forms of communication to control our lives and minds. Well, that's right. Uh, you know, propaganda is a really uh, effective tool, especially if you have a population that doesn't have access to any other ideas, any other narratives. Uh, and it's very easy, especially in education uh, of children, when they're really impressionable to, uh, to um, you know, in, in, inflict really uh, certain ideas that are not healthy. China's Chairman Mao and Russia's Joseph Stalin were communist propaganda masters, and Adolf Hitler, of course, knew how to use propaganda to generate hatred for the Jews, but it's still happening today around the world. Tell us what you believe is happening globally. The three things that are different today is that the reach is global, um, and that's because, number two, we've got all of these new communications technologies that have a very deep reach, but not just across national borders, they have a very deep reach within each human being. You know, all of the screen time and the devices and the metaverse, what they're talking about now, this virtual reality, all of this stuff, especially for youth, has um, a very deep reach in getting that sort of sense of alienation and isolation going. 
And then number three, we aren't dealing with just one demagogue anymore. Uh, we're not just dealing dealing with a Hitler or a Mao or a Stalin or a Lenin, we're dealing with what I call a hydra-headed beast, which is um, big government, uh, big, uh, big media, big tech, uh, you know, the corporate world, the woke corporate world, all pushing these, uh, not just globalists, but I believe very isolating, uh, you know, agendas on everyone. And right here in the United States, it seems like divide and conquer is the approach. So how is our government manipulating what we think and how we live? Well, I don't know if um, your listeners recall the push to have what was called a misinformation governance board in the United States. I think really the most dangerous thing of all is censorship, cutting people off from information that uh, only the government will, uh, you know, that the government w does not approve of or any other uh, maybe government associated or media monopoly associated narrative that they don't want people exposed to. Uh, and, um, you know, there are many, many examples I could point out. But, uh, for example, uh, the trans transgender lobby doesn't want anybody knowing anything about detransitioning, which is really a big thing now. Uh, and uh, But we, you can go on and list a lot of different agendas. And of course, in the United States, uh, we keep getting this push for censorship, uh, these uh, uh, ideas of, uh, you know, just cutting people off from under the guise of misinformation, cutting people off from any other narrative, any other idea. And in the classroom, children at a young age are taught to question their biological gender identity and that their own country is evil. The Constitution is racist. Is this a planned leftist propaganda strategy to influence minds and lives or just misguided education? Well, I think it's a combination of things. I think there are, you know, those who really do have this grand, you know, agenda, uh, you know, for centralized power. I mean, this is a very old story, you, you know, all of those utopian revolutions were about creating a new order. But there are also uh, a lot of people just kind of go along with it because they don't even hear about anything else uh, because of the media monopoly. Uh, and then you have those who, you know, just do the virtue signaling, who think that the only way to be a good person is to follow along with these agendas uh, because so much of uh, of the methods, so many of the methods used to push these agendas forward involve the threat of isolating and ostracizing somebody who doesn't get with the program. I mean, you've heard all of the demonizing words that are used to shut people up. For example, bigot, hater, this phobic, that phobic, you know, some kind of phobic, uh, conspiracy theorist, white supremacist, fascist, uh, you know, domestic terrorist now for parents who complain at school board meetings. And and yes, I mean, the, the way to control a, a population is, first of all, to shut down any other narrative, any other information. Okay, the book is The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stoke Fear and Isolation to Silence, Divide, and conquer. Stella Morabito, thank you for sharing your insights. Nikki Haley has entered the GOP presidential race. 
becoming the first candidate to challenge Donald Trump for the nomination. The former South Carolina governor and former U.N. ambassador made the announcement this week. Here's a brief clip from her first ad campaign. Some look at our past as evidence that America's founding principles are bad. They say the promise of freedom is just made up. Some think our ideas are not just wrong, but racist and evil. Nothing could be further from the truth. I have seen evil. In China, they commit genocide. In Iran, they murder their own people for challenging the government. And when a woman tells you about watching soldiers throw her baby into a fire, it puts things in perspective. Even on our worst day, we are blessed to live in America. Joining us to share her thoughts is Marie Fisher of Project 21, a leadership network of conservative black Americans. So what do you think about Nikki Haley jumping into the presidential race? Does she have a shot against Donald Trump? She might have a shot because I look at this way. She does have the foreign policy experience and she has domestic experience being, you know, former governor of South Carolina. So I think she has a very good shot. Well, she talks about restoring unity and focusing on what makes America good, a new generation of leadership. And it looks like another South Carolinian, Tim Scott, the only black Republican in the U.S. Senate, may soon jump into the presidential race with a similar optimistic theme. So what do you think about his potential candidacy and how might that hurt Nikki Haley's chances to win over black voters? Um, I'm not sure if it's going to hurt or help. At the end of the day, I think it's going to be about who people think can go up against, since supposedly Biden is going to run again, it's going to be who they think can go against Biden and beat Biden. And especially with all the disastrous policies that we're seeing coming from this administration, I'll be honest, I honestly think almost all three could beat Biden. <laughs> well, let's talk about this. President Biden's expected to soon uh, announce his reelection campaign despite a January inflation rate that just came in at 6.4 percent. Uh, one survey shows 59 percent of black voters want Biden to run for re-election. He received about 87 percent of the black vote in 2020. Can he count on black voters to put him over the top again in 2024? Why or why not? I honestly, I don't think he can anymore. Um, I think a lot of, I'll be honest, I think a lot of the vote in 2020 wasn't a for Biden it was an anti-Trump because the media has spun by Emmett Trump to be, you know, like such a bad person. And in hindsight, a lot of these people are saying, oh, my goodness, we did have it good. We had it better, you know, despite what happened with COVID and COVID was an anomaly. But before COVID came along, we were doing great as a country. We had high unemployment I and mean, true, I mean, high employment, true employment, not the pseudo, you know, employment figures that they keep touting out at the same time you have people who are losing jobs, people can't find jobs because um, the numbers they're spewing out from the administration is just people who are looking. And as we all know, a lot of people have stopped looking for jobs. They've sort of dropped out, either create their own businesses or some just given up because the government makes it government makes it so easy not to work anymore. Black Americans have got to be hurting and other minorities, especially because of this economy and the the high inflation, as you mentioned, the jobs uh, and, and so forth. So why are they still supporting this president and the Democrats? Because this administration has done a wonderful spin, unfortunately. And when you have your, you know, 
talking heads for the administration, which is mostly all the mainstream media, they spin it at, oh, this was caused by COVID. Oh, this was caused by Trump. Oh, this was basically, he's taking no responsibility of the state of this country. Well, what's the best thing then that this president and the next one can do, not pandering or making insincere promises to win votes, but what's the most important step that they could take to help American minorities genuinely? I think the best step any of can do, and this is one of the things uh, the previous administration does, they had like enterprise area, they're trying to create enterprise areas so people could create their own jobs. So they create their own wealth, so they start their own businesses. I mean, people don't realize black entrepreneurship and minority entrepreneurship was, was one of the highest under the previous administration. And everybody knows that's what grows an economy, is small businesses. So it, he, they invest more, try to help more small businesses, take off regulations. I know a lot of regulations people say are aimed at big businesses, but guess what? Even if you aim those regulations at big businesses, if they get fines, they can easily pay them all, or they find runarounds because they are that big. They do not... I say they regulations have a tendency to be one size fits all instead of saying, hey, if you're a business this big, this is your regulation. But if you're a mom and pop or if you're a small business, this is your regulation because you are not going to do or you can't do what this big business does. So it does need to be changed there. Go back to, you know, relaxing a lot of the regulations so people can create more businesses. OK, Project mm -hmm. 21 Ambassador Marie Fisher, thank you for providing those insights. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. Abortion rights and pro-life advocates are squaring off in Texas in a high-profile battle over abortion. Some pro-life doctors filed a lawsuit claiming the U.S. Food and Drug Administration exceeded its authority when it approved a drug used in chemically induced abortions. The doctors contend their patients are experiencing medical complications from the so-called abortion pill. Well, 22 Republican state attorneys general and 67 members of Congress back the lawsuit. They want the FDA's decision overturned. Democrats say women would suffer if the pill is pulled from use in the United States. Well, joining us with more is Pastor James Harden, the CEO of Compass Care, a pro-abortion militant firebombed uh, that pro-life medical office in Buffalo last June. Pastor Harden, good to talk with you again. So this abortion pill lawsuit in Texas may be sent to trial. Uh, if it does and the FDA decision is overturned, it would be unprecedented. So why do you believe this medication should be banned here in the U.S.? Well, the medication for uh, the chemical abortion should be banned uh, because it is currently harming women. And not just... Um, you know, obviously harming women in terms of the, the sepsis and the hemorrhaging uh, and, uh, you know, the, the fact that they're being sent to the emergency room. One in 10 women uh, are being sent to the emergency room after starting the, this chemical abortion process. That's on the surface. Um, the, the reason why this lawsuit is so important is because the FDA violated their legal obligation to make sure this drug was safe. And it didn't do that um, either in the beginning with during the Clinton administration, and it, and it still has not done that with the Biden administration. And uh, the Biden administration just flat out deregulated it on on January 3rd before the 118th Congress could get in session. They tried to do as much as they possibly could. They 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 got the camel's nose under the tent uh, with with COVID. Um, being able to send these drugs in the mail, by the way, which is also illegal, according to current U.S. Code, Title 18, uh, paragraphs 1461 and 1462. This drug is, 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 has, 
has violated all sorts of F FDA protocols. The FDA has turned uh, a blind eye to it, which means the, F F the FDA has been politicized. With a Supreme Court decision in effect overturning Roe versus Wade last year, we're seeing many legal battles like this one in the state. So are states successfully enacting new restrictions on abortion without having their decisions overturned? Will all of these new laws end up at the Supreme Court? Yes, yeah, states are in engaging re uh, their restrictions on abortion uh, post-Roe. It's, and it's, it's very effective, um, and it's not likely that, mo that many of them, if any, are going to be going to the Supreme Court, since the Supreme Court, we know how they're going to rule. It's just unlikely <clears throat> that, that they, they would pick up any other, uh, any other cases relative to state restrictions. It's the state's purview, and it's going to stay there. So I, I hope that, uh, that the states continue to enact restrictions, as they should, um, and, uh, and we'll see what happens with some of these more, uh, these, these more liberal states, because those are the those are the laws, and the the the, the, un, the deregulation of abortion is is, is going to be uh, kind of on the docket in the coming uh, weeks and months and years. On the matter of attacks against pro-life pregnancy centers, yours in Buffalo was firebombed last year in June. It it wasn't until five months later, after the midterm election, that the FBI posted a reward for information and help from the public in finding a suspect. Uh, are the feds making progress on these pro-life facility and church attacks, or? Are they still dragging their feet? That's a good question, Gary. And, and the answer is they're still dragging their feet. Uh, the arrests that they made, I mean, if, if, you're a, if, if, you, if you provide a referral for abortions and there's something that happens, you're attacked, and, uh, you're going you're gonna to find that they're going to find the perpetrators within days. And that's what we saw. Kalamazoo, Michigan was, a, was a, an attempted arson attack on a Planned Parenthood. And they put together within, within hours a joint federal law enforcement task force, reviewed the video surveillance, and engaged in forensic analysis, and they found and arrested the perpetrator within four days. And he was, um, he was uh, rightly so arrested, and, and, and I'm, I'm happy to see that justice was done there. However, um, you take a look at what, what, how they've treated pregnancy centers, that um, there's a bona fide concerted effort to attack pro-life organizations all across this country. There have been over 230 attacks on pro-life entities in 2022 alone. And it took the FBI uh, five weeks just to even review our video surveillance. I mean, and and they, they've only made two arrests. Actually, they've made two indictments. I don't want to say that they've made arrests because I don't know that they're in custody down in Florida of people that have engaged in graffiti acts against pro-life pregnancy centers in Southern Florida. Um, this is, you know, it's just the FBI. The, the, the award money that they put out there is just the FBI, the FBI placating uh, the uh, the House Judiciary Committee, making it look like they're they're acting and then getting results. But what matters with the with the FBI is results, and they're not getting any results. Um, well, let's go. Let's a, go one step. Let's go one step further. Then, of course, there was that dawn FBI SWAT team like raid and arrest of pro life advocate Mark Houck at his Pennsylvania home. A jury yep. recently acquitted him on federal charges. It looks like he may sue the FBI for excessive use of force, wrongful arrest. So what effect might his arrest and possible lawsuit have on deterring government discrimination, perhaps persecution against pro-lifers? Well, I, I hope that, and I, I've been saying this for a long time, that the government shifted from abdicating their duty to investigate violence against pro-life people to literally attacking. And that happened to Mark Houck, Mark Houck and others, uh, they Mark Houck, when he was exonerated, 
he had not received justice, even in the exoneration. The jurors were heroes. They did the right thing. Um, but is is Mark did Mark receive justice? And the answer is no. Justice will not be done until there's the, the, the spotlight of investigation is shined directly on the DOJ and the FBI for being politicized and using their power or letting or allowing their power to be co-opted by a political agenda. And so I'm glad that uh, that 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 potentially a lawsuit's moving forward. I've been saying for months that someone need to, needs to sue the FBI for uh, the deprivation of rights of certain citizens, particularly pro-life citizens. Okay, Pastor James Harden, it's always good to hear from you and hear your thoughts. God bless you. you. You too. Over the years, I've reported from many war zones around the globe in the Middle East, Africa, Asia, and Latin America. I've also witnessed suffering up close from many natural tragedies, deadly hurricanes in the U.S., Katrina in New Orleans, others in Florida, also a tsunami in Southeast Asia, and earthquakes in Japan, Nepal, and Haiti. The scale of hardship and misery is difficult to endure, not only for the victims, but also for those called to help, and for the journalists sending those stories back home. But folks, over the years, while gathering those difficult stories, I've seen God at work bringing help and hope out of despair. One week after the earthquake that hit Turkey and Syria, rescue workers amazingly pulled a 13-year-old teenager out from beneath the rubble. And nine days after the quake, rescuers saved the life of a 42-year-old woman, freeing her from a collapsed building. Take a look. Now, those rescues are nothing short of miraculous. But Turkey and Syria face a long, lengthy road to recovery and restoration. Please pray for the earthquake victims in both countries. They're experiencing unimaginable hardship. Not only did tens of thousands lose their loved ones, but more than 5 million people are now homeless. Also pray for the aid workers, that they may not grow weary. Many, like CBN's Operation Blessing, are there bringing relief and showing the people the love of Christ. Yes, God brings help and triumph out of tragedy. He's still in the miracle-working business. He hasn't stopped. And if he can deliver Syrians and Turks the help they need to overcome a devastating earthquake, just think of what he can do to rescue you from the problems and ruins of your own life. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.